already of the book of Revelation and a most important, certainly, portion of Scripture for us this evening. Everyone is. The one we're on is very important, amen. And so uh, if you have your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 11, we'll be reading verses uh, 3 through 10 this evening. And uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, skip down through there and work through these this evening together. Look there, if you would, Revelation chapter 11, look in verse number 3. And these, this is the very, and these are the very words of our holy God, which he would have us to hear and to have this evening. Verse number 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And anytime you see that terminology many times in Holy Writ, to stand before God is one who is standing there and ministering for God. And so we see God calling his witnesses here who are going to be standing before him ministering uh, what we believe to be the law and the prophets, verse number four, uh, and these are the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And, and if any man hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they uh, shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where uh, also our Lord was crucified. And they <clears throat> of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice. Now, brethren, we bring that out. That's Let's not lose this portion of this scripture. We're going to talk about this. But this is the only place in the book of Revelation where the re word rejoice is ever used on the earth. It's a stunning thing. And who's rejoicing but the enemies of God? It's quite amazing when you look at that. Look at there. They're, they're so merry and so rejoiced, the Bible says, over them. And make merry and shall send gifts one to another because of these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. The party's over when we get to verse number 11. It's quite an amazing thing. The Lord God, as we know uh, earlier in the text, he has been using his angels, these angelic beings, to preach, amen, and to, to, if you will, to send out his message. Here in our text this evening, he now turns to his human Witnesses. Now, these witnesses are indeed molded after the image and after the similitude of Moses and Elijah. Now, it's important, brethren, again, not to read into what Scripture says. It doesn't say that that's who this is, but they are certainly molded after the image of Moses and Elijah. And uh, we remember, don't we, brethren, in verse 6, it says they have the power, amen, to shut up heaven that it rain not. Well, we know who had that power, amen. God gave Elijah that power as he stopped it. So again, there's a, kind of the similitude, the, the same sort of thing that Elijah was able to do. What else was Elijah able to do? When he went to Mount Carmel, he was able to what? Call down fire and they were consumed. And so again, you see these, these if you will, these intricacies, the similitude of them uh, in that. But I believe there's a much deeper reason why these two similitudes are after the similitude of Moses and Elijah. They are preaching, which God bids them, and we're going to see this this evening, for 1,260 days. And we looked at that last week, amen, which is what? 42 months. That's 30 days each month. That's what? Three and a half 
years, or that, that's what we looked at last week, but here we see it's three and a half days. They will undoubtedly preach, brethren, as we're going to see, and what they preach, that's what God bids them, is will consist of the law, whom, again, as we understand, the similitude of Moses. He was the Old, law, Old Testament lawgiver. And so, again, we see this similitude, that they're going to be his witnesses, they're going to be his preachers, and, again, they're represented in the similitude of Moses, which I believe they will be preaching the law. Also, the prophets, brethren, they're going to be preaching the law and the prophets. You remember what the Bible says about two or more witnesses. There always has to be two witnesses. Here we have two witnesses who are going to be preaching two witnesses, which is quite amazing if you consider this. The prophets, who are the similitude of Elijah, who was the chief representative of the prophets in the Old Testament, is a representative here in our text, obviously. These inspired writings, I believe, the law... And the prophets are indeed spoken of throughout Scripture as dual witnesses throughout sacred Scripture. And I want us to see this this evening. So you have God's two witnesses. He always sent them out two by two. Two witnesses, obviously, amen. We've all been out street preaching together. It's always better, isn't it? If you're standing there by yourself, it's a very odd thing. But if you have somebody there that's there with you, amen, another person, it encourages you, it strengthens you to preach. And so that was part of the reason for that, but... Again, we see here in the Bible that the law and the prophets were indeed witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so, again, as we consider tonight our text, again, this is very Jewish, amen? Again, I hate to keep repeating it, but it is Jewishness over and over and over again. We see this Jewish thought throughout the book of Revelation. And here, it is no different. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Let's just look at a couple of them here this evening. Just a couple of them. There are many, 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 as we know in Scripture, declaring the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, the representative of each of those in the Old Testament. Look here, if you would, at Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> Look here. And it's, of course, important, isn't it, brethren, to understand that these inspired writings are all pointing towards who? Who, who, who is the law pointing to? What was the law designed what was it designed to do? It was what a schoolmaster to point us to who? To Christ. And so, yes, Jesus Christ is pre- preached in the law. And so it's used there. Again, Moses and Elijah, the, the Old Testament lawgiver, and Elijah the prophet. Again, and what did the prophets point towards? What were the prophets always preaching towards? They were always preaching towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Now pay attention here, if you would, to the language here used in Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse number 10 there, if you would. <clears throat> the Bible says, For this is he... Of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, and will, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of the women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven uh, suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets... And the law prophesied until John. Do you get that there? Again, they're speaking witness. They are prophesying about who? About the Lord Jesus Christ. John was the last Old Testament prophet. Amen? The great prophet. But all of that even says here that they were prophesying towards something much greater. And again, as God is drawing the Jewish people, the Jewish nation unto himself, he's preaching the law and the prophets to them through these similitudes of Moses and Elijah. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, And if ye will receive it, this is Elias which was to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so again, we see the law and the prophets are prophesying they are speaking forth of the Lord Jesus Christ here particularly in this context of course was Elias who was to come 
Look at Luke chapter 16, just a couple of them this evening again, to show us the preaching of the law and the prophets. Again, the schoolmaster to lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wrote in Galatians, amen? And so this is the same schoolmaster that these witnesses are using to, again, to draw those who are the Jewish elect out of the tribulation. Look there, look at Luke chapter 16 again, just a couple of them. Now, we remember, don't we, who showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who showed up? Remember, it's Wednesday evening. Can I ask that question? Who showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration? None other than Moses and Elias. Amen. Again, Moses, the Old Testament lawgiver, and Elias there as, as a representative of the prophets. Again, pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is indeed the Savior, which is ultimately as that fountain we read about in Zechariah chapter 12 and chapter 13, as, they, as, they, as that fountain is opened up unto them, and they do look upon the one whom they have pierced. This is God's tool. This is how he's going to be drawing them onto himself. Look at Luke 16, again, a very familiar portion of Scripture, but again, if we pay careful attention to this portion of Scripture, listen to what the Scripture says here in verse number 27. Look there, if you would. Again, this is, of course, the rich man and Lazarus, but we listen carefully. Jesus says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have what? Moses and what? The prophets. There it is again. They got Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God that is speaking concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says there carefully. And, and, and he said, they have Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Again, the idea here is the law prophesying, the law speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. If they won't hear them testifying and prophesying, they, won't, they will not believe if one is risen from the dead. So again, we see the power of the, the law when it's used rightfully, amen, and when the prophets then are presented in such a way as they preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at one more. Paul wrote about it in Romans. Again, this really seals it up for us. Just one more concerning this important uh, portion of Scripture to us. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21, 22, and 23. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to all of us, but carefully pay attention to the words which the Holy Ghost had Paul right concerning this witnessing. Look at verse 21. Look at there if you would. The Bible says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by what? The law and all the prophets. There it is again, but I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I'm just simply saying that one pre when one preaches the Old Testament, when one preaches the gospel, the New Testament, this is where it goes. The law and the prophets ultimately end up where? In the gospel. And one is saved by the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, as we looked at Sunday uh, as we preached together there. Look at what it says there again as we just continue. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no different, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, brethren, God's human witnesses, as I said, will preach God's inspired witness, which is his, the law and the prophets, amen, so that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that which they have both and all pointed to. And so, again, we see here this likeness, this similitude, these two men who will be sent out to 
testify of the things of the laws and the prophets. They will witness to the gospel of the grace of salvation which comes through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This ultimately is the end. This is ultimately what God is doing. As he's, as he's calling that remnant out, he's using his preachers to do that. Now notice back there in Revelation chapter 11, the, the, uh, the terminology that is used concerning these two men. It's really quite an amazing thing. Now, brethren, I could stand up here tonight for, again, a half an hour, and you have no idea, well, some of us who have studied eschatology, you have no idea the craziness that people have come up with concerning, <laughs> concerning these men and concerning what the, what the candlestick is and what, the, all, what we're going to see here uh, in this text. It's, it's amazing if you allow the scriptures to speak. Brethren, listen. It isn't that complicated. It really isn't. We make it that way, amen, because our imaginations like to run here and they like to make up this and like to make up that. But if you simply allow Scripture to exegete it out to you, it's very, very clear, which is quite amazing. Look here and notice, if you would, again, the description of these two men and biblically how the Bible defines, and uh, if you will, these two men. Look there at Revelation chapter 11. Look at verses 3. And four, so God calls forth these witnesses. He's going to give them power, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to be clothed in sackcloth, and we're going to address that. And I want you to see here again as we read this. Look at verse number three. And I will give power, number one, unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy, number two, which we just looked at, uh, a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's what, 42 months? That's three and a half years. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. That's three. So there's a three descriptives right there. But look at verse number four. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, again, brethren, as we look at this portion of Scripture, it's really, really, really important as the Holy Ghost here reveals the God-ordained attributes and nature of their ministry. Again, this is not something that we don't know. Again, the book of Revelation is what? It's about revealing God's truth. It's about revealing Christ. And so as we look at these two men, who I believe are literal men, okay? Again, getting back to the craziness, if you would actually go look it up, it is stunning to see what they do. I believe these are two literal men whom God is going to use. And he gives them this ministry. Look at the first one. It's going to be an effectual ministry. Why is it going to be effectual, brethren? Well, because right there in the verse 3, it says, I will give power unto them. Who's the I? God himself. God himself will give power unto these witnesses to preach. And so as long as they're preaching, as long as, you know, brethren, I don't want to draw us into it, but you can use this principle, okay? As long as one is preaching what God bids them to preach, it will be an effectual ministry. As long as you're faithful in preaching, what God bids you. It's always going to be faithful. It's always going to be powerful. And this is what he's saying. I will give them power. God himself. So it will be effectual. Look, as we've looked at the second thing we noticed there in verse number three is that they shall prophesy. So in other words, they're going to be preaching as we have already looked at. And third, brother, and this is really important. Look at the third thing there as he gives this characteristic of their ministry. They are clothed in what? Sackcloth. So there's powerful preaching that's going to take place, but also they're clothed in sackcloth, which what? Represents, represents what? 
repentance. If you look in the Old Testament, when one would put on sackcloth and even ashes that were added to the Old Testament, they were always repenting. And so here's a message of what? Power, a message of prophecy concerning the new, the old, the law, and the Moses, and, and, and the prophets, but also a message of repentance, which, brethren, is one that is very, well, we're going to find out. That went over, shall we say, like a lead balloon. They wanted to hear these men preaching about like they wanted to hear what? Every, every other prophet that came that God sent. They were all treated badly. None of them wanted to be heard. It's an amazing, stunning thing. But you see this here, brethren, that God is going to send these men. And we see verse 4. This really is symbolic here. Again, <laughs> there's symbolism that you must define in Scripture. When, it's symbol when, it, when there's symbolism, the Scripture will tell you that. When it's literal, it will tell you that. Here in verse number 4, we see God or this language that is symbolic of God's power and protection upon their ministry. The olive trees are the source of what? Olive oil. What is olive oil many times represented above in the Bible? Anybody know it's Wednesday evening? I, I guess I could add. There's a few things, but one of them really sticks out, that the olive oil, of course, was what? Was a representative of the Holy Ghost. You see that in Scripture. That's power. That's where the power, again, is going to come from. I will give them power. So we see there this descriptive language that he uses, the olive trees or a source of olive oil, which is often a type of the Holy Ghost in Holy Writ. Look at verses 5 and 6 again there. As you look there, look at 5. If any man will hurt them, fire proceeded out of their mouth. That's power and that's protection. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. God is sovereignly protecting them at this very moment. Because later on, what? As we're going to look, as the Antichrist comes out of the abyss, he's allowed what? To kill the prophets. He's allowed to kill the witnesses. That's God's sovereign hand. At this present time, he is protecting them with great power because if anybody came against them, they were just simply what? Fire, just as Elijah did. Again, this similitude, this typing of these prophets in the Old Testament here that we're looking at. It's an amazing thing. They're given great power and protection. Look at verse 5. And devour their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Look at verse 6. And these have what? Power. There it is again. To shut up heaven. There it is again. God, if you will, infusing these great, these great witnesses, these preachers, with his power and his protection at this present time. It's an amazing thing. What does this go to, brethren? Again, let me just say this as we get there. You do realize you will take your last breath when God ordained you to take your last breath. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're playing golf. I don't care if you're you know, doing something dangerous or, or just sitting there. These men are wading in. They're being called by God into a most precarious situation to preach repentance to a lost and dark world. I mean, the tribulation is raging on, and here comes these preachers to preach, and it's amazing how it really just dispels men's true hearts. <laughs> Even with the wrath of God that's going to get fired up again, here we go, these people want to hear none of it. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? Brethren, how applicable is that for us today? How appropriate is that for us today? Have you guys been watching this thing? These evil demons, these Jezebel women, and their leader, 
They can't kill enough babies, and they can't wait until all of the, the laws that are supposed to click in, click in to stop the killing of the children. Have you seen that? Have you been watching this? I can't hardly watch it. It's so evil. Even yesterday, as Joe Biden and his little sneaky little mind that's gone off somewhere hither and thither, that he has no idea where he's at. He's hither and thither and there and that and here and there. Even, was it yesterday or was it this morning? I don't remember. Somebody might be able to help me with this. He signed an executive order trying to stop the killing of our children. It's stunning. And you preach that stuff again, just like here. They're so evil, they're so depraved, that when one does preach that which God bids you to preach, it is not welcomed very well at all. It's an amazing thing. They're given great power, and again, the power to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters that turn them to blood and smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Think of this, brethren. I was reading this text, and I've been looking at this text, and I've had to really subdue myself. (laughs) You know why? Because there are times I wish I had this power. And believe you me, in the last couple months, this is what I would like to do. I would like to have the power to, what, send fire down. I'd like to have power to send plagues upon them all. Have you guys seen this monkeypox thing? I don't want to get sidetracked too far anyway. If you don't think that's a judgment of God, you've been sleeping somewhere with your head in the sand. You know where it's originally, where it's all at? Where it's hanging out at? You know where it's hanging out. I don't even need to tell you this evening where it's hanging out at. What group of people it's hanging out in. But if you've seen pictures of this stuff, it is Amazing judgment of God. Huge, gaping sores around their mouths in different places. I don't want to get gross. Right as God says, don't do that, this is what they do, and they continue to do it, and their faces are getting just exact. It's just amazing to watch it. And they will not stop, apart from the grace of God. It is an amazing thing, and this is really where we're at in this time in the book of Revelation. The candlesticks, brethren, are symbolic of their function. Not only are they uh, bringing light and healing, but these candlesticks are symbolic of their function. They will preach the light of the world. They will, as we have seen. These, These things that they're preaching that God will have them preach, the law and the prophets, all point to who? The light of the world. They're preaching in a dark, dark place these glorious truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a stunning thing, brethren, when you consider these things. The depravity of men, again, I am not even hardly shocked anymore. I used to be. But as things continue to go the way they are, as things continue to go in the direction that they're going, you just stand back and go, that's true depravity. That is a depraved heart. That is a heart and mind at enmity with God on full display. And this is really what our two preachers are up against tonight. A world full of men who are depraved and who are at enmity with God. In fact, warring with God himself. Look what they do here. Again, it's interesting as we see the sovereign hand of God working out his glorious purposes in all of this. Look at verses 8 and 9. So their testimony now is over. Verse number 7, they, uh, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. <laughs> Anytime Sodom's in your text, you know things are bad. 
you know that men have totally and completely given in to depravity. Look at here what the Bible says there. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where as our Lord was also, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies in this uh, three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. Well, brethren, there's a whole lot going on here. After sovereign God's two witnesses complete their, their preaching, the beast from the bottomless pit, as we read here in our text, is allowed to kill them. Again, that goes back to God's sovereign hand. He will allow, when you go, you go perfectly. That's exactly his timing, whether you're nine years old or ten years old or two years old or five years old. This, of course, this beast that's coming out of the, out of the, uh, the abyss here is the Antichrist who is indeed called the beast over 30 times in the book of Revelation. It's an amazing thing. This is his first introduction to us. Back in chapter 9, that wasn't the beast. You remember that. We looked at that. That was a demon that had special power that came out of the abyss with a whole bunch of the other ones. Remember, this is actually the Antichrist himself who belches out of the pit of hell. And this is, again, our first introduction to him as he ascends out of hell to participate as I wrote in my little brain, and to assist and to engage in the war from hell. This is exactly what this is. The trademark brethren of the beast throughout the book of Revelation is his his incessant hatred and opposition, as he always does, against God and against the people of God. This is what they do, and this is what he's doing here in our text. He has an incessant hatred and opposition to the people of God and to God himself. The two witnesses then, aren't they, are killed, and their bodies lie in the street. The Bible says of the great city, which we know to be Jerusalem, because where was our Lord Jesus Christ crucified? But in Jerusalem. And so he gives us that portion of the text, amen? But there again, there's something there that's residing there that the Jews are going to build. Remember the unbelieving Jews, the millennial temple that's going to be there, not the millennial, but the tribulation temple will be there where this great abomination that causes desolation occurs. And so things are getting wicked, brethren, within the holy city of Jerusalem. But he tells us there, it is the Spirit of God. This is why he leads John to pen the word spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Sodom speaks, brethren, of gross immorality and wickedness. Again, when Sodom's in your text, you know exactly what God is speaking of concerning this matter. It is an amazing thing. It speaks of uh, just wickedness beyond measure. And Egypt speaks, of course, of idolatry and slavery to sin. And so God is saying that the city of Jerusalem spiritually is like Sodom. It's spiritually like Egypt, okay? He puts that word in there. He doesn't say it is, but it's spiritually like that. And that is that the hearts of the people, the hearts of the men, those who are there, are just like those who are in Sodom and just like those who are in Gomorrah and just like those who are in Egypt because they are enslaved to the sin that's there. It's a stunning thing. In fact, the Lord God in Isaiah chapter 1, turn there with me if you would. I want you to see this. This terminology is used, again, keeping in mind that the emphasis here, I believe, at this present time, is, of course, on the Jews. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. Just to show you here, again, this is terminology that has been used by God in the past, uh, except this was... (laughs) you know, a literal thing. Verse number one, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, 
Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And so this is Jerusalem. This is what we're talking about. Well, how is Jerusalem described by the prophet Isaiah? Again, the prophet Isaiah who came preaching repentance, came preaching, telling them, you, you're a sinful nation. You guys are wicked. You've turned away from God. You, you are beyond wicked. He's speaking again of Jerusalem. Look at verse number 4. Look there if you would. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provided the, uh, provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. So again, he's speaking of the sin of the people who are in the city of Jerusalem at that time. And then look what he says over there in verse 10. Look at what he compares that to. Look at verse number 10. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. <laughs> there it is. He's talking about those who are ruling in a spiritual sense like Sodom. It's the same thing. This is what he's saying. The city right now during this time, during the tribulation, is flooded with wickedness, flooded with evilness, flooded with idolatry. People and men have turned completely away from God. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law, our God, ye people of Gomorrah. All the people, the Bible says in our text tonight, it's an amazing thing, kindreds and tongues and nations, the entire world, brethren. Now you want a practical point. <laughs> Let's be practical about this. As I have heard preachers who I have trusted for years, who never say anything without being very biblical and being very calculated about what they say. You realize, brethren, for really the first time in our history, that we have access for every people, nation, and tongue to see what these people are going to see. At the click of a button, on your phone, on your computer, amen, on your television, CNN, ABC, all of those who are going to probably believe going to prop up the Antichrist, all of these liberal devils, I'm convinced of it. This is what they're going to do. But every eye will see this. It's a stunning thing, brother. And listen, they're going to lay there for three and a half days. And you know what? The camera's going to be on them for three and a half days. And they're going to be reporting that, hey, look, there's victory. Those two nasty preachers are dead and they're lying in the street. Look. Look and see. That's what they're going to be reporting. That's what they're going to do. The two witnesses, as I said, are killed. And their bodies are lying in the city, in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, where the tribulation temple resides. All of these people, the entire world... Uh, we'll be seeing and watching. And as the preacher said, we've never had that technology before. Never. Never. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. I was thinking about something. Again, sometimes my mind goes back to yesteryears. Maybe it shouldn't go there. But I think of this back in 1974. You remember Elvis Presley? <laughs> remember Elvis Presley? He did a concert from Hawaii. And you want to know what the amazing thing about that concert was? For the first time, in 1974, that concert was broadcast all over the world. A billion, over a billion people watched it. In 1974, brethren, think how technology has come along now. And it's in place that when this does happen, and the beast, the Antichrist, shows and deceives the nations leaving, if you will, their dead bodies in the street, which, of course, is a form of intentional dishonor and insult to a Jewish person. 
No question. This was never allowed. You know in Scripture, brethren, that when a Jewish person died, they were to be buried, what? They were embalmed. They would have the services, but they were never to be left upon the earth. You know what God thinks of that? Turn with me to Psalm 79. Here's what God thinks of this, when, uh, especially as we're looking at the Jewish nation, the Jewish believers here that I believe God is working on. Look here at Psalms 79. Look here. Now, there are several portions of this. We don't have time. It's 10 after 8 already. Look at Psalm 79. Here's what God thinks of this. Again, these, the, the, the beast and all the peoples leave their bodies laying in the street for all to see. All the world, all nations, all people, all tongues, for them to see. Look here at Psalm 79. Look at verse number 1. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. That can't be. God would never allow that to take place, ever. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there is none to what? To bury them. We are become a reproach. This is literally in the Jewish mind, this is how God, well, this is how God viewed it, but in the Jewish mind, this is how they viewed it biblically, right? We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord? Will thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Again, this is how God views it. For someone to leave the bodies laying up to, on top of the earth without burying them, that was unholy, that was ungodly, that was unbiblical. They did not allow it. And so here we have the beast who is what? He's insulting God. He's insulting God's people. Again, this is the wickedness that's taking place. Again, showing, if you will, the Jewishness of our text. Look at verse number 10 of Revelation chapter 11. So this is taking place. The same camera that's been on the dead bodies. I'm, okay, guys, I'm using this as, a, as my own thought, okay? And, and I'm not in interjecting it, but this is how it could happen. That, again, CNN and ABC and all these, if you will, worldwide companies, as evil and wicked as they are, surely, surely will be used for this sort of thing. Look there, if you would, at verse number 10. <laughs> All these people, the dead bodies, they're not going to be put in the grave. Look at verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall what? Rejoice. Look at the three things that they do. It's an amazing thing. Again, keeping in mind, brethren, nowhere else in the book of Revelation, anywhere, does it ever say there's any rejoicing upon the earth. Not once, except here. Where these evil demons and the beast himself have killed God's preachers, his witnesses. Look at that. So they're rejoicing, number one, over them, making merry. <laughs> hey, you know what they're doing? They're having a dead witness party. That's what I call it. They're having a dead witness festival, a holiday, if you will, that these horrible preachers who have been preaching righteousness and repentance are now lying in the street, and we're going to rejoice because, brethren, our hearts are so hard, we don't want to hear anything concerning that. We're so wicked. We've so turned away from God, it's not even funny. <laughs> Look at that. Not only are they rejoicing and making merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Now, brethren, it's amazing, isn't it? What a hoedown 
what, a, what do they call these, the old-fashioned old hootenanny? Huh? Here we got a tribulation hootenanny going on. We got the evil people who are upon the earth. And brethren, 11 times in the book of Revelation, it speaks of unbelievers in those terms. Those that are dwelling upon the earth. Here we have those who are dwelling upon the earth. Those who have turned away from Christ. They're throwing, literally, a party one for another. Because God's preachers are dead. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. They've been tormented by their preaching. They've been tormented physically by them. And all they can do is rejoice. Hearing the gospel, hearing the, the, the word of repentance, hearing the law and the prophets, none of that. But they are rejoicing that these two treacherous and irritating preachers are now lying in the street. It is an amazing thing that these sinners are that happy. That they're that happy that they're beyond belief making merry and sending one another gifts because these witnesses who preach repentance and judgment was a torment unto them. And brethren, what this is doing, God, of course, is revealing. This is a reflection, if you will, of their final rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preaching. They're hearing it. Now let me, again, brethren, as we bring this to a close this evening, let me show you where all the rejoicing is taking place. Remember what I said? This is the only spot in the book of Revelation where rejoicing is ever mentioned on the earth. Not any other place. You know where the rejoicing is taking place? Let me show you. Look at chapter 12. Here's where the rejoicing is taking place. Right here with God's people. They're rejoicing. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 11. Just a couple of them here and we'll finish this up. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. See? In the word of their testimony. And that they love not their lives unto death. Therefore, rejoice, ye what? Heavens. You know where rejoicing is taking place? The rejoicing is taking place in the heavens as they see God, who is, who is dealing out retribution and rightfully his ju just judgments upon those who have rejected Christ, those who are evil Christ rejectors. They're rejoicing, ye heavens, and the Bible says, and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. See, that's the difference. They're partying now. God is about, to, if you will, his people are about to rejoice over what God is going to do to those who are throwing a party now because the righteous preachers have been killed. It's a stunning thing. See, righteousness always prevails. God always prevails. His preachers, whether they live or die, we we're praying tonight. Just, Brother Dean, as you were praying, I was just thinking about how good we have it. I'm not hungry. Because before I came here, well, I had nibbled on a little something. What did I have? A sugar snack of some sort. I'm not hungry. No one's threatening to cut my head off. No one's coming in here to take our children from us, brethren. Think of that. And yet tonight, Brother Dean was praying about all that that's taking place to our brethren all across and around the world. All for his glory. All for his purposes. None of it will be wasted. None of it. And yet here we see this glorious thing in heaven is where the rejoicing is taking place. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Look at just one, two more. We'll look at them. Look at Revelation 18. Look there if you would. Again, just the rejoicing, not on the earth, but rejoicing in heaven because of what God is doing. Look at verse uh, number 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her, 
And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The heavens rejoicing, and there's turmoil, and there's much turbulence, and there's much tribulation taking place, but the heavens are rejoicing, and he's telling the earth, Woe unto you. Woe unto you. You're partying now, but that's going to come to an end. Look at one more, Revelation 19. Look at verse number 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people. Where? In heaven. There we are again, saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. So here the scene is in heaven. Look down just a few verses with me, if you would, to verse number 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. There it is again, the scene in heaven. On earth, no, there's tribulation, there's God's wrath being poured out, but in heaven, where God is, is, uh, is, is if you will, allowing and, and, and meeting out his glorious justice. Those who in heaven are rejoicing, they are glad. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice, he says. Look at there. And give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. What is that a picture of, brethren? It's a picture of one who is trusted in Christ alone. It's one who's clothed in his righteousness. Come to the supper of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice. Amen? That's really the hope and the, uh, that we have as we consider this, as we close this out. As we all know, Lord willing, we'll take it up next week. As I call it, the festivities of the Dead Witness Day are short-lived by those who dwell upon the earth. Let's close with verse 11 of Revelation 11. Look there, if you would. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear was upon them which saw them. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, brethren? Consider this again as we consider they're showing this victory, allegedly, that the Antichrist has had over God's preachers. And I said, and this is just me, the same cameras that were fixed with the eyes of the watching world, the enemies of God are now horrified and astonished. Because why? God's preachers miraculously stand up in the street. <laughs> Think of that for a moment, brethren. What that's going to look like. What that's going to be, literally. And it's, they're going to stand up in the same street, if you will, that is littered <laughs> from the wrapping and from their gifts that they've been rejoicing and partying in. It's an amazing thing to consider how the Lord God is victorious over all. His glorious purposes will prevail. Again, the world thinks they have won. They've defeated the preachers. And God says, not so fast. Amen. I will bring my preachers back to life, and they will indeed be caught up, which we're going to look at. But the world will not prevail. God's power, because these men's ministries, amen, are powered by God and protected by God. And they will do exactly as their faithful preaching that which God bids them to be. It will be indeed a most faithful and a most productive ministry. Amen? All right, let's pray together this evening. Father, there are many things that we 
consider. And tonight as we have examined the Holy Scriptures together, we again are reminded that you are sovereign God. That you, in your glorious timing, allowed these witnesses, the similitudes of Moses and Elijah, to stand and to prophesy, and they, the world wasn't able to do anything to them. They were not able to kill them for a second. In fact, if they did that, the world came against them, it was simply fire-breathing time. Fire came down and devoured them, and we see in our text where then they, that protection is lifted for your purposes. They are killed as the Antichrist introduces himself to the world, as they're all just so gloriously happy, making merry and giving gifts one to another, as they see those irritating preachers who preach repentance and the gospel. And as they're partying and making one another merry, a miraculous thing happens three and a half days later. You raise your prophets. The Bible says that the life of God went into them. You raise them from the dead. And they are standing there for all the world to see. Again, a glorious picture of our victorious God. Sovereign God who is sovereign over all things. As Spurgeon said, even the grain dust that bounces on the elevator floor, nothing moves apart from his hand. And that is a biblical fact and truth. So, Father, tonight we pray as we think about our own lives and we think of the world that we're living in. (laughs) It is certainly a perverse place. And yet, Lord, we think how gracious you are to us this evening as you have brought us all together. We, We think of this over the last several years. Those whom you have drawn together here in this little local church. People who didn't even know each other were now close Christian brothers and sisters, and we are so thankful for that. It's such a needful thing and such a needful time. And Father, now tonight as we disperse this place, we pray for your protection, spiritually and physically. We pray for our children, that Father, you are drawing them unto yourself. That the Spirit of God is working upon their hearts, upon their minds. And that at your precise, glorious time, that their eyes will be opened, their ears will be unstopped, and their hearts will be replaced that heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who must constantly be lifted up. For he is our the center of our religious affections. Thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.